Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. back this is the Knicks wall podcast i am your host mike cortez make sure to follow the Knicks wall at the Knicks wall on twitter make sure you are following following blue wire podcast network on twitter at blue wire pods joining me today as always my co-host tkwog kyle maggio kyle what's up man you know just uh quarantining it up i guess just uh, trying to survive these very dangerous streets of my my own home, but other than that, uh, pretty good, healthy, uh, still employed, so can't complain. Two good things, two very good things. So this episode is going to be a little different, but before we get that, just wanted to hit on some breaking news from today. David Blatt, consultant with the Knicks, is parting ways with the team. If for those who don't remember, Blatt joined last season in a consultant role. Him and Steve Mills were college buddies. Uh, what Blatt did particularly is still unknown. I believe he was helping with the scouting department. But he is now gone. Uh, Kyle, what was your gut shot reaction, if you had one, to uh, Blatt coming and going? I thought it was the most pointless harmless thing that's probably happened with this team in quite some time. Uh, I I think it meant a tremendous amount of nothing. I think it amounted to a tremendous amount of nothing. Uh, He seemed to get the job because he was a basketball person who Steve Mills knew. And then Steve Mills got canned, the agreement ended, and they aren't renewing it. So obviously didn't hurt to have him. He's a knowledgeable, successful basketball coach overseas. Um, I wouldn't call it strange or bizarre or any of that. I I think they brought in a smart guy to try to help out. He did for a few months. They didn't want to renew. Uh, It was just a very short-lived experience, I guess. Uh, I I don't really have many thoughts on it. Yeah, pretty much the same. And for those who want to read up on it, uh, Reed Goldsmith from TKW put together a piece so you could find more info on that. My only reaction was I kind of ended my Killian Hayes dream because I know Blatt was a strong advocate for international players. So now I feel like going into the draft, it's going to be back on big college names, which kind of worries me. So I'm really hoping that we either get LaMelo or Denny, who, which that was kind of actually the player people connected with Blatt because obviously Blatt coached Tel Aviv. That's where Denny played. But I, like I said, I think that's reading way too much into it. Like you said, I think it was non-consequential and life is going to be the same it was 24 hours ago in terms of what the Knicks are doing. But let's go back for a little bit. We're going to go back to the golden year 
the 2012-2013 season. Just before we start, what were like if you when people say the 2012-2013 Knicks, what's your first go-to memory for them? Honestly, the first thing I always think about that team uh with that team is just the overall offense that came that season and how fun it was. Um, you know how whenever we watch games with the Knicks, it seems almost any other year or period of time, except for briefly the mellow era, you know, like you have that inevitable sense of like, ah, okay, well, the opponent's going to swing the ball into the corner. They're always going to hit that three. That guy's always going to be open. Of course, he's going to hit that shot against the Knicks. Of course, that half court shot goes in. Of course, you know, we do the fake comeback. Of course, we have a, a, a blow a lead in the fourth. Like, you know, those inevitable feelings that are always typically negative that we have. Like, that was the first year I can remember it was the opposite way. Almost entirely. It was like we were the team swinging the ball and, you know, Novak or Mello or someone was going to drill a three and uh, nobody was getting in the paint. Nobody was going to score on Tyson Chandler. And, Mello was suddenly a, in a slightly above average or, or average defender just because he, w- he was moved to the four and off the perimeter. And, uh, you know, Shumpert's playing great defense and, you know, bringing energy on both sides of the ball. And J.R. Smith is just this, you know, microwave. And it just seemed like all those big time shots are finally falling for us. Like all those breaks that we never get were, were working for us. Everyone was playing the perfect brand of basketball. They were ahead of the curve offensively. Uh, with the way the NBA was trending, um, just a, just a good team, man. Like that's so that's why the first thing I always think about is just the offense. Like it, it was good, it was fast, it, it was selfless. Uh, even with everybody getting their numbers, you know, and and I just thought it was just a really special, fun year. Uh, when you when you look back at any of those games, like everybody's always having fun. I think you, it's it's so evident, you know, and. My first reaction to like the or first memory that goes to mind is that bizarre, not bizarre, but insane explosion against the Celtics, not in the playoffs during the year where Melo had the triple double and Novak and JR just went nuclear. And it just kind of was a microcosm of that full year where it was enjoyable to watch basketball. And like you said, it was the shoe, the second shoe never fell until the very end. And it was the first time I actually lived and died with Nick games to that extent. Like if the Knicks lost that year, I was in a very bad mood for the next one to two hours. And it was, it was funny. I haven't gotten like that with the Knicks team since. Yeah. Because they, like they, they actually gave us a reason to like watch the games, you know, like it, it seems like the bar is hell lately. And it just, but we actually had a reason to watch the games and actually turn on the TV and go, uh, yep, the, the Knicks not only have a chance to win tonight, they should win tonight. Like, si- just simply having that, not even like a cocky mindset, just as like an objective fan, knowing you have a very good team going, oh, okay, we're playing the Bobcats tonight. Like, yeah, they, they should beat the shit out of the Bobcats tonight. Oh, okay, cool. We're playing the Cavs. Yeah, they should like demolish the Cavs. Like, versus. Ooh, okay. Uh, we just lost six in a row again. Uh, Cavs coming to town. Could win, maybe. Uh, Kevin Love isn't playing. 
You know what I mean? It's like the way things have changed since then, it's very sad. So uh, I, I just think just being able to have that mindset of like, wow, like we have a good, not just respectable basketball team, but like one that's going to win. Like just, just being able to have that, that peace of mind is, is missed. Yeah. And for people that forget this Knicks team wasn't supposed to be as good as it was. No one picked them to win the division that year. No one. They were actually the butt of jokes. We're going to get into the full season and everything that happened. But right before that, they were getting clowned for the whole Jeremy Lin fiasco during the summer league where they were hiding the, the offer sheet. So it was kind of like they were getting clowned as they usually do. And they kind of just flipped a switch on them. And that was probably the best Carmelo Anthony. Those two years, 2012-2013, the preceding year, where he got 62. That was probably the best... Knicks player I've we, I've seen since I started being a fan. I'm recognized because I didn't watch Pat Ewing because I was too young. Like good Pat Ewing, I'm talking about like nine, like early '90s. So this was yeah easily the best Knicks player I've seen. Oh, oh, oh for for certain that was the probably the best individual Knicks season since then. I, I don't think there's any disagreement about that. It, it's it's even if you didn't like Carmelo, it's very obvious. Um, but um. Yeah, man, I, I don't – I mean, Mel, yeah, Melo was just – he was good. He he was just so, so good, man. Uh, I remember – I went to a couple games that year. I remember the one that was particularly special to me was uh, we went for my boy's birthday, and uh, they were playing the Lakers. So this was uh, both of our opportunity to finally see Kobe live, you know. And uh, – well, actually, no, I, I had just gone the year – before I think to see him in Boston. But anyway, this is my first time seeing Kobe at the garden though. So I was excited nonetheless. Um, but Melo goes off, off, off. He has like 30, I think it was 32 points or something like stupid, like stupid in the first half, stupid. Um, but he gets injured really, really like right, right before the second half ends. So he doesn't return though. I forgot what happened. It was like some sort of ankle. He landed funny. Uh, didn't return right so i was bummed but i was like well at least i got to see that wild performance like 30 and a half is still nuts you know what i mean it's, it's not like 50 for a game but who knows what could have been but at least we saw half of it uh, but anyway he goes down and then kobe starts like clawing his way back into the game jr smith's the top offensive gun in this game you know the rest of the way they managed to hold on it was an exciting ending this is like the dwight uh the dwight powell Kobe, uh, Nash Lakers. So, uh, it was, it was good though. It was good. It was an exciting game, but, um, even then just like being able to see like Melo and Kobe kind of go at it, you know, two good teams, the Lakers weren't great, but they were still good. It was just, it was nice, bro. Just being able to see them like go toe to toe with good teams and, and Melo be like the leader of it. It was, it was nice. It was, it was a fun season to watch with a good catalyst, you know? Yeah, I'm looking at the box score now. Raymond Felton with 19 points. Tyson Chandler with 18. J.R. Smith with 18. Novak with 12. Four to five from three. It's just, I mean, it's just so many names I love from this team. So, I mean, Melo, just, just to talk about Melo's season, right? 28.7 points. To, uh, I believe he won the scoring title that season, right? Yes. Um, so seven rebounds, two point six assists, point uh, eight steals. You know he shot eighty three percent from the line. He shot uh, 
where is it? 38% from deep, you know, 45% from the field as a whole. Uh, just really a tremendous year for him uh, and the, the workload that he had. Uh, he was in a rhythm all year, it felt like. I feel like we watch him shoot a zillion catch-and-shoot threes in transition uh, with, with Pablo or Kidd or uh, Felton or literally anybody because many people passed the ball on this team. It was really nice. Um, but I feel like that was like a staple too. Just Mello was trailing. He'd find him. He'd bang, hit a three. Like Yeah, was it game one where he got the uh, – it was like a catch-and-shoot, but he caught it, spun at the top of the key, and then just drilled a three. I think it was game one of the Celtics. Oh, I I gotta it, I gotta watch. Are you talking about the the one where he cooked uh, Brandon Bass on the baseline? No, that one that one's also good too. This one was at the top of the key. I can't remember if it's off a pass, but I know he spins and then just spins right into a three at the top. I was like, this is insane. Like this guy's just in his zone right now. Yeah, because that Brandon that Brandon <laughs> Bass one will will live on uh, f- forever for me. I I always think about it. I watch that highlight from time to time. It brings me great joy. Just, I mean, he had him on skates. Brandon Bass, the best part about it was he kept guessing correctly, but he was just like, he was just a hair off. So the whole time you could watch him, he's just frantically trying to catch up to Mello, but he's a hair off while going in mostly the same direction. Just can't keep up. And he just gets cooked. And the spin move was disrespectful. And and that was the first time, like that was, if you watch like, MSG was just so happy, bro. Like you, you hear them ooing and eyeing every everything that he's doing. You know, every little move and dribble and, and cross, they're ooing. And then when he does the spin, everybody gasps. The jumper goes up. Everybody knows it's going in. Melo knows it's going in. Brandon Bass knows it's going in. It drops. Everybody loses their mind, but like in a special yeah. way. It was special. It was different. Uh, that that's why I love that season so much, and why the next season hurt me so so dearly. I don't even want to talk about the next season, but. Uh, it, it was it was special. It was special. It just made me finally feel like, man, maybe we did turn the corner. Like this is nice, bro. Like all, all that bullshit that we're always talking. Like it's just different in New York. Like it's just different. The playoffs are different at MSG, and I'm tired of saying it and hearing it, as you know. But it it, it is true. It's just you know we beat a dead horse talking about it because it doesn't come often enough. But it is true. Like it it was special. It was rowdy. It was nice. Uh, we love Mello. Mello loved it. JR loved it. Everybody on that team loved it, you know? Just a fun, quirky team, man. Yeah, and before – we're just going to go through the season shortly. But I have to thank them for all the money I won in college playing 2K because that was probably the first and last time I was able to choose the Knicks and win pretty much on a consistent basis. I remember the only teams that gave me trouble were – the Bulls and the Heat, obviously. But whoever used the Heat in 2K13 was a clown. But, yeah, that was the first time, mm-hmm. first and last, that I remember using the Knicks consistently and not thinking twice about it. So, shout out to them. Um, I wanted to go through, not the season before completely, but, you know, leading up to it. So, to set the stage for what would end up being the one golden year of New York Knicks basketball this millennium February 2012 Linsanity kind of kickstarts the Carmelo era in a way it was kind of just slogging where it was just mellow doing everything Jeremy Lin comes onto the scene it's absolute pandemonium madness in February Tyson Chandler's quietly having his peak season he will go on to win defensive player of the year that year they make the playoffs 
I believe they either got the eighth seed or the seventh seed because they played Miami in the first round. There was, I remember feeling a little bit of hope going into that series. I didn't think they were going to win, obviously, but I thought, I was like, okay, this can get five or six games. That doesn't happen. Game one is a disaster. Shumpert tears his ACL either in the first half or at some point in the game. And Amari is done for the playoffs because he ran into a fire extinguisher. Um, do you remember anything from that series, Kyle? I remember they got their first win, their first playoff win in some time. But other than that, I only thing I remember is the fire extinguisher running. Nah, yeah. I mean, I just kind of remember being bummed because we, we got the heat. And I didn't think we were quite there yet, right. you know, in terms of uh, being a contender. I, I didn't think we were going to win. But I, I also thought, like, all right, we'll put up, you know, if full if at full strength and healthy, whatever we, we could put up a fight, but then, you know, Amari has the, the fire extinguisher issue, which is self-inflicted as always with this team. And then, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Shumper fire extinguisher, man. Like, yeah. Shumper went down. It wasn't the same yeah, day. It was that same. If I'm not day. mistaken. As I a, remember I was at the barbershop. I was no, like, all right, this is going to be a great, like, this is a great. No, I, I meant the same day as Derek Rose. Wasn't oh, that yeah, the same? Yeah. I remember because I remember it was really bizarre. Like both of them, it's like I was like, "What the f- like? What is going on, bro? Like that's like that's the, that shouldn't be happening. The the playoffs just started. What are we doing?" I remember being like almost angry about it. I was like, "How? Like both those guys are so fun to watch. Like those are like like prime playoff players. You know, like gritty, aggressive, you know, in, in your face kind of guys." And it was like I was pissed about it. You know, especially Chump, obviously, but. Uh, yeah, man, I don't it, – It's so, yeah, I was kind of, like, disappointed. I was like, well, it is what it is. And that's why the next year I was really excited to try to run into the heat again, especially with our offensive system because I thought, I don't know if we could beat them, but we certainly could this year. I'm, I'm not going to be the guy who goes, oh, they – you know, they, they could have went to the finals if they got the heat, you know. I don't want to be that guy. But for certain, they like they matched up, you know. But, well, they, I mean, we'll get into it, but I might as well just say it now. They beat the Heat twice pretty handedly in the during the regular season. They beat them to open the game, to open the season. And then Melo's classic 50 on 25 jumpers, or just all jumpers, that game happened in Miami. So, like I said, I don't know if they would have beat the Heat, but I definitely think it would have went six or seven because – is that the year the Pacers pushed the Heat to six or seven games? That Pacers team wasn't that good. It was David West and Paul George with a random Roy Hibbert good year. So I think the Knicks would have done much better. The Pacers were firmly very good, but and this is the best way that I could put it, and I don't want to make it seem like the Knicks were in any way better than the Pacers. I think they were on pretty much the exact same level. But I think the Knicks had guys, and I've used this term before, and if you understand, just agree. But if not, it's like some players give you like a different edge in the playoffs. There's like a different kind of upside with their volatility, maybe unpredictability, like guys like JR, you know what I mean? And it, it could hurt you, but also the upside is more tremendous versus a team that's like, and again, uh, the Pacers got there. So no, not shading the team that we lost to, but like to me, that's more intimidating than like a, George Hill, who's just going to consistently give you the same 
every game, which is very good and tremendous, right? But like, I always think of guys that have like that that extra gear to get you like a little over the hump if things are going well. And that's kind of what what I thought. I thought we had that like puncher's chance, you know, like like yeah. I mean, if if Melo's simply just Melo, like he has cooked the heat every time this year, then if Jr. is kind of himself or gets hot, like one or two games, that might be enough to to decide it, you know. Like that that's kind of the rationale that I was leaning with anyway. That's not a bad rationale because the way they were they were just playing as a unit. And that's something we haven't really seen with the Nick team since. Where each guy even if Melo wasn't going off, but most nights he was, but even the nights that he didn't. Like there was the night in Charlotte where he had two points and I think he left as an injury. I can't remember. But JR steps up and he ends up hitting the game winner. Those things don't happen anymore. Yeah. But let's rewind it a little bit. Let's go to the summer of 2012. Everyone expected Jeremy Lin to be back. That did not happen. He signed a offer sheet with that poison pill from Daryl Morey and the Houston Rockets. Then it set off a little fiasco where the Knicks were dodging the offer sheet being delivered to them. Chris Copeland, meanwhile, is going off in the summer league. He would end up getting a contract with the team. Carmelo went to London with Team USA. He took home gold. He averaged 16.3 points, 4.8 rebounds, shot 53.5% from the field, 50% from three, 130 total points. He was the second leading scorer on Team USA who won gold, to second to Kevin Durant. And I feel like that set the tempo for Melo because, like I said, the next two seasons of Melo are probably the two best of his career. I don't care what he did in Denver. Denver may have had a little more success. But in terms of Carmelo, Anthony, Prime, I think that was for the two years. And that kind of really set the tempo for that. Free agency starts. The first signing, did you anticipate the first signing being James White? No. <laughs> Uh, I I was a little bit alarmed, to be honest. I was like, "All right, uh, so so when are the uh, when are the real signings coming?" You know, and uh, I was waiting and waiting, and uh, yeah, James White is not exciting, you know. Yeah, doesn't really get people going. Neither is the trade that follows, even though it's a little bit of a nostalgia trip. Tony Douglas famous brother of Harry Douglas, who you probably don't even know, but he played for the Falcons once upon a time in the NFL. Josh George Harrelson and Jerome Jordan. Remember when Jerome Jordan was supposed to be Patrick Ewing 2.0? What a letdown that guy was. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of hype surrounding him. Didn't he go overseas to play instead of going to college? I'm drawing a blank on the country, but he definitely played overseas. And then it just didn't work out. When he came back, more or less, something yeah, like that. Yeah, he was that. just soft. Like, he just didn't – he wasn't – like, if you're going to play center, you got to have some type of spice to you, and he just didn't. But he was included in the deal, a 2014 second-round pick and a 2015 second-round pick, which ended up being Montrez Harrell, uh, ironically enough, were all sent to Houston in exchange for Marcus Camby. Then they signed Jason Kidd, probably my favorite sign, Nick signing – that wasn't a star ever. I mean, Jason Kidd, growing up in Jersey, Jason Kidd was probably my favorite non-Nick for a while. So that was probably the first signing I was happy about. They then traded random Nick all-star Dan Gazruk, 
Jared Jeffries, good fucking riddance. Costas Papalenko, Georges, somebody else's name I can't pronounce very well. Uh, 2016 second round pick. All to Portland for Raymond Felton and Kurt Thomas. Raymond Felton was part of that first resurgence with Amari and Kurt Thomas, obviously a Knicks fandom legend. And here, here comes the good stuff. We signed Pablo Prigioni after that. Ronnie Brewer, who would end up starting around 20 games for the Knicks. And then, then the last signing would be on October 4th, Sheed. Out of those guys, who was probably your favorite in retrospect? Sheed. Um, Sheed she brought some edge, man. He was always yelling the whole season. He didn't play a ton, but he was just yelling. Uh, I thought he was a really good vet. Uh, the Knicks have actually had him back, you know, at practices and around the team from time to time uh, over the years, if I'm not mistaken. So he's a guy that I, I know a lot of the the younger players and, and players in general respect. So I thought he was just a good addition. Um, and I was always a fan of Rasheed Wallace. I think like a lot of broader NBA fans are um, and were back in the day. Um, he was tremendous, obviously, with the Blazers. Uh, won a ring and, and was vital for those 04 Pistons and that whole run of success that they had. Um, so she's was always a favorite of mine. So just being able to like root for him a little bit and just like, you know, same kind of point you had with kid uh, to me, I, I was excited about that. Yeah. I feel like he also, him and Kurt Thomas had like, they didn't play in the playoffs. I think she ends up getting cut later this year, actually. And Kurt Thomas does too, but there were points in the season where they each had a big game that, ended up getting the Knicks to win, which is another thing we don't really see that much lately where it's a spot like one of those random games where someone goes off. Nowadays, those those random guys will go off, but it'll still end up in a heartbreaking loss. So that was just kind of like how the season went, where they would just catch lucky breaks from these guys that are just old as dirt but still producing. And believe it or not, the Knicks were the oldest team in the NBA that year when the season kicked off. And the first game was canceled. I don't know if people remember, but Hurricane Sandy screwed up the opening of the season. The Knicks were supposed to play the Nets at Barclays, and I believe that was Barclays' inaugural season, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember. Anyway, first games against the Heat, they wash the Heat, and they end up winning the first six games of the year, which was gave me like where's that, yeah it was kind yeah. of the thing you were talking about where it's like uh where's Where's that second shoe? It's got to drop. Yeah, I remember I was watching that first game, that Heat game at my brother's house, and um, I, I was like, "Oh, this is this is good." This because we always knew like they had offense even the year before. Like we know that they can score. You know, it was just like, are they going to be able to do it consistently against good teams? Whatever, whatever. The same shit is always with this team. And then, um, so that was fun. And then when they when they yeah won all those games in a row to start the year, I was like. The Knicks good? Is that something we have to consider here? Are the Knicks actually really good? Is is that something we have to admit to ourselves? Like it was, it was very strange. You know, uh, it seemed that the answer that year was yes. Um, I remember arguing up and down on Twitter that they were for real. A lot of people say they were frauds, and I was like, Nah, man, they shoot a lot of threes. They're very efficient. This is a good team. It's a good team. You gave Melo everything he needed. You gave him selfless guards, guys who can knock down shots, a, a backbone center. All of his teams have kind of had those things, you know, uh, with Chauncey or with 
uh, Canby or Birdman. Like he's always had the same. It's the same formula. They finally got it again, and I, it was it was good. It was good. Yeah, it's it was really a rare rare season, man. And as the season went on, we had Kobe versus Melo on Christmas Day. Both had thirty four points. Probably one of my more favorite Christmas Day Nick games. There haven't been that many good ones. They both have 34. Lakers squeak it out. But it's obvious at this point the Knicks are legit. And Carmelo, I feel like the Olympics played a big role in Carmelo's peak year. Because, like we said already, it's there were like anytime I threw on a Nick game, I was like, all right, Carmelo's about to feast. Like the few games he didn't have, 20 or 30, it was just like, whoa, what's going on here? But uh, what was your favorite game from the first half of the year, if you had to? Any game that stuck out in particular? Uh, just I'm just going to go. I don't know if it's favorite, but the one that's most memorable to me early in the year. Uh, in that first streak um, to start the season, I believe they yeah, beat the Yeah, that was Spurs. actually the sixth win. That game. Because that, to me, was like... Hey man, we just beat the Spurs. Like, we we've beaten some good teams. You know, this isn't like a. It, it started to feel less fluky in, it, to me. Is I guess how I felt. I was like, you know, it's it's one game. It doesn't mean everything, obviously. But um, to me, that's where I was like, all right, I, I'm now starting to feel confident in this team. I now don't just believe it was a, a a little fluky stretch to start the season. I now believe this is a a legitimately good team. And then they prove that feeling right over the course of the next couple of weeks so like for me that was the starting point so that's why that game is particularly uh memorable yeah beating the spurs is kind of like a badge of honor and it always has been especially with popovich there and now i'm did that spurs team end up i believe that's Spur- no that's the year after right where they end up going on to face the heat so that wasn't some slouch spurs team like there is this year that was legit that was duncan parker ginobili and Kawhi. like that's that was impressive. Uh, my favorite game, yeah. probably the Mellow 50 on all jump shots because that was just one of those games where, like, you know, you have it on the background and you just keep hearing Carmelo for two. Good. Yes, yes. Because it was Marv Albert, I believe. I just keep hearing him saying, it's good, it's good. I was like, okay, let me start paying attention. And usually that's the jinx, but he just kept hitting. I was like, yeah, this fucking guy's going to win MVP this year. We're going to do something. Oh, just real quick, on the MVP note, I remember a lot of people gave that guy shit who who gave Melo a vote. You got to – I hate when we do this, like when we slam people for, for like the not – like LeBron should have won MVP, okay? Like it, it's not – but it's not really unreasonable to think like a guy who won the scoring title who was actually – pretty decent defending that year rebounded the hell out of the ball for his position. Like, I mean, leading the Knicks to, I mean, they were the, they were second, uh, seed that third season, seed. right? Third, third seed, Sorry. So, I mean, that that's not nothing. That's not nothing. So to like, for the people that are just like, oh, how could you give Melo a vote? Like it, it really isn't unreasonable. Is my point. Like, they're, like that guy got like, sl- I remember they outed him. He got like <laughs> doxxed. It was, but like, yeah. Do you remember? Like, the, I forgot who it was, but like, it was a whole. Th- and I was like, guys, like, LeBron clearly should have won, but like, it's not really unreasonable for somebody to have 
because that's that's how the weighted system works you know so that the guy who you know deserves it in the end is gonna win it's not i don't know that always irked me they made it sound like it was like like there was no there was no case for Melo in, in any way like it was a lesser case for sure for sure but there was a case like, shout out gary serious. washburn of the boston globe that is the writer who voted for him and i have a take to unload i feel like that was the best mvp race in recent memory because Carmelo finished third that year in the MVP voting. LeBron, probably the best LeBron ever, won MVP. And then Kevin Durant, who was inching towards his prime, he would his prime probably next year or the year after that, he was second. So Carmelo, once again, gets the shit out of the stick. But he definitely deserved more than one vote, I thought. Just to bring, like, not to be that guy. It's like, oh, winning in New York is tougher. Winning with the Knicks is fucking tough, man. And they were, for once dominant you have to give him more than one vote that year i'm sorry yeah uh i i I mean it was it was a very good mvp race um i i don't know i don't know if he how many more he should have gotten or anything but i I just thought there was there's always validity when you get to the top three of any mvp race there are no bad answers anymore is my point like it generally generally it's very you know who's going to win one, but like there's usually a a legitimate case is the best way to put it. Like everybody likes to laugh at the whole in the conversation, but like, it doesn't matter. There's always like a a top three or four who are actually in the conversation who everybody kind of recognizes are like, those guys are like, you need to have them on your team Mm -hmm. to win this year, you know? And then from there it's like, well, then there's everybody else. So there's just, I, I just don't like the general scoffing. In, once you get to that territory, like everybody deserves to win when, when you're in that realm. You know what I mean? Everybody has a good enough case. It's just there's always one guy generally who pushes it over the limit, and that's the guy. Yeah. It's not very difficult, you know? Yeah. So the rest of the season, it's kind of they have their sl- they have their peaks and valleys. They have a really good stretch to end the season. They rip off how many is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen straight wins from yeah. from March eighteenth <laughs> all the way to April 9th. And that kind of really puts them in prime position to win their first division title since ninety four, which is a re- I can't believe they didn't win after ninety five. Like damn. I think I think seeing That's that That's crazy. Even though I think seeing that, even though like I already knew like they were on track to win it, was what kind of shocked me, I think, the most. Like I already knew kind of we all kind of knew like they were eventually the team to beat in the division. But like finally seeing it, I was like, Oh, like this is this is nice. Look at this. Recognition of slight success in the NBA. <laughs> this is this is nice. I miss this this feeling. Uh, I will hang this banner. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> like like that's I don't know that was like my vibe. I was like, this is it's nice to win something even if it's nothing. Yeah, it's it's it, it, again the bar is hell around here. I don't care if that makes me sound pathetic. I was like, yeah, we we won the we won the goddamn division, man. Look at us. Yeah, and that win I believe gave them. I think yeah, April 9th was the night they clinched the division. So it was more than that. So they won their first division title since 1994. Clearly, they haven't won one since, but that is just... I really can't believe 94. I was If, I, if someone asked me to guess, I would have said like 96, 97. But wow. 
<laughs> that's insanity. Insanity. Wow. So also during that win streak, Carmelo tied Bernard King's record for most forty point games, which was another I mean, that's just another evidence of his insane year. Um any other notable games? Oh, the Honey Nut Cheerio game that happened back in January. That had to be one of the weirdest shit talking things I've ever heard of ever experienced. Where for those who don't know, Kevin Garnett and Carmelo got into it in on a January seventh regular season game. Garnett allegedly says Lala, Carmelo's wife, tastes like Honey Nut Cheerios. That's just it was just very bizarre. But it started a full thing. Carmelo wanted to meet KG outside in the tunnel. Everyone knows KG is not really about that life. I forgot who sucker punched KG once, but he didn't do shit. So ever since that, I kind of felt like he was all talk. So that was probably one of my favorite non-consequential moments. But (laughs) do you remember that whole little fiasco? I I do. Um, And it was a strange moment indeed. Um. Yeah, I, I I felt like Kevin Garnett was trying very hard to like talk shit that game is the best way I could describe it. Um, I I just felt I just felt like it was very forced. I was like I was like really like Honey Nut Cheerios. Like you, you really like I think he premeditated. I could I could be that, wrong. I believe you know, the Knicks were cooking the Celtics early in that game, and then he kind of resorted to shit talking so anyone familiar with playing like 2k online or even playing pickup at a park if you're getting your ass whooped you either have two options you could tuck your tail between your legs and wait for the next game or you can try and get in someone's head kg opted for the latter and it appeared to work because the celtics won and like i said carmelo wanted to meet him outside and whoop his ass so i guess it kind of worked for that moment now that i'm looking back on this season I kind of forgot how that was probably the only time the Knicks and Knicks versus Celtics actually meant anything because we have the Honey Nut Cheerios incident and they meet later in the playoffs. So that was kind of the first time really ever since probably like the seventies Knicks and Knicks versus Celtics actually felt like a rivalry. Yeah, uh, it did. And it felt nice to actually see us come out on top for once. Um, You know, even if it took, I started to get a little angsty when that season went on, uh, when that series went on uh, in the playoffs. Um, I started to get jumpy. I was like, this is starting to feel like classic Knicks on a grand scale. But uh, they closed it out. It, it was just nice. Like, it just felt like we finally got a reprieve, you know? We finally got, like, a year off from, like, all the bad breaks, all the nonsense. Like, the good players played good. Like, everything went according to plan. Uh we beat the Celtics. Like we got all the satisfying wins. Like, I, I don't know. It was just, it was nice. Like seeing the Celtics, we had a lot of good memories against the Celtics yeah. that year. You there know, was, was later nice. that year and on, on uh, the end of March, Carmelo has a triple double. He goes absolutely bonkers. And beyond that, J.R. Smith and Steve Novak caught absolute fire that game. It was remarkable. I'm pulling up the stats right now just because how crazy it was. Because I remember it got to the point where it felt like a video game because anything Novak threw up, I was like, yeah, that's cash. I was just like, just pure bliss watching that game. And I was watching it with my friend who's a Celtics fan. Just so satisfying. So fucking satisfying. 
Yeah, watching Steve Novak do anything was yet an, again yet another reminder of that theme. You know, we we had every break imaginable to us uh, that season. It was like even the end of bench kind of role player guys are, are catching on fire consistently. Like everything seemed to work out for us. Like it was it was very very nice. Like Novak was really fun to just like always have that knockdown shooter, which we never have that guy. How many years has it been since we've had like a lights out shooter like that, right? Like Mook shot, what, almost 45% yeah. from deep for us. And that was like the best shooter we've had from deep on that video. Yeah, it's it's been a while. I can't, I mean. And Novak had like that weird swag to him where he was swaggerless but had swag at the same time. Like when Novak got hot, I thought everything was going in. Like, it was just pure net, like green release every time with this guy. And he's probably one of my favorite bench players the Knicks had. After, obviously, the Pope, Pablo Prigioni. But Novak, man, he was just he was just something else. He was, he was a lot of fun, man. Uh, you know, I, I think I mentioned it. I might have mentioned it in my pot for whistle, but... um. It seemed like everybody on the team that year had their own like quirk, you know, like their one thing that they brought to the table, and like like Novak was just. It seemed like he was just so happy to be there. Like he he was so, and the thing was he was so important, and I think he knew it, but he was just so happy about it. Like he just seemed so happy to just like I'm, like I'm just gonna sprint out there. I'm gonna sprint down the court. He looked like a, like a substitute teacher, <laughs> and they're just sprinting down the court. Like he's, like he's like I'm gonna just hit every single three that they throw my way. And they they threw some lasers to him. If you uh, remember, one thing about that team was like, you know, Pablo was probably the best passer in terms of like throwing the quality, like best soft, nice, perfect passes. But like Melo used to throw lasers at you. Like his passes were, when he passed, like he passed, like it was a laser. It was like a one-arm shot. Like he was chucking it. Raymond Felton was also a pretty aggressive passer. You know, like these these were some lasers Novak was catching in the corner. And J.R. Smith loved throwing to him too. You know, Shumpert loved – I mean, these guys love feeding him all year. You know, how many Tyson tip-outs ended with, like, a Novak finds himself open in, uh, in the corner on the wing, you know, second opportunity three. It was just nice. It was just – it always it was nice. it always worked out. Novak comes on the court. We all smile. He hits six threes. He goes back to the bench. We wave. He does the belt. It was yeah, great. you hit on a good thing there with quirks because I think that was the first year Tyson started doing – instead of trying to go up for the rebound, he would just literally spike it back towards half court and the Knicks would just get a long rebound off that. I feel like Tyson. Yeah. I feel like Tyson we got the two out. quietly. We got Tyson Chandler's two best years the year before when he won defensive player of the year. And most of this year, obviously during that Pacers series, I think he was sick or I don't know what it was. He was really skinny and uh, he was just a shell of himself because I think if we have a healthy Tyson, I think we advanced at least the Eastern Conference Finals, and who knows what happens from there. But Tyson, that's a underrated Nick, in my opinion. A, a very, very underrated Nick. Um, I'm, and again, I don't like to. This is not a lamenting pod. I just every note on these players, I like to touch on certain things. Uh, I like. I actually have a Lynn note. I want to harken back to, which is an unpopular take, but. Um, I'm bummed that the Tyson era ended when it did, man. Like Phil tearing that team down as quickly as he it did no really sense. bummed me out. I didn't, I didn't feel the need 
to because like it seemed like what he then tried to do was like I, I don't know like he still tried to replicate it to some degree like he went you know jr was a a proven wing inconsistent and streaky for sure but generally you got good jr with the knicks right like I think we can oh, mostly agree on. Yo, that. Yo, Jared was, was probably was the best scorer. He was like right. the closest thing Melo had to a Robin since Billups. To that point. Yeah, yeah, and and it was just like so. So moving him was whatever, right? So, but then you get a Derrick Rose back, who's another. I mean, he's a guard, sure, more of a point guard, sure, but he's still like you know an attacking, scoring guard. You know, Jared is a jump shooter. Obviously, they differ considerably with their games, but it was like. So you traded Jr. who who can work well with Melo, as we'd known, and Tyson, who uh, seems vital to Melo's career seasons, and uh, you get us a less healthy, more worn down big in in like Joakim Noah, who nothing against Joakim Noah, who I did not want to sign and wanted no parts of that contract, but always respected him with the Bulls and wanted him to do well here, just knew it was not going down well. But like, so so to me, I didn't really get Phil's plan. Like, I understood his, like what he was trying to do, I guess, but I didn't understand why he needed to tear down already good pieces. I understood they had a bad season. I understood it seemed like maybe some of them mailed it in a little bit. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I, it was I don't. it was very peculiar. And J.R. Smith was coming off his peak season. He averaged 18 a game that year, took home sixth man of the year. He was kind of sold for pennies on the dollar. And he got sold for, what, two second-round picks, along with Shumpert, no less. That was just an absolute steal from Cleveland. I know JR's reputation at the time of the trade was, I think, below bad, whatever that is. Knicks fans just wanted no no parts with him. And obviously he did have those frustrating moments, but... Look back to this season where he was literally, whenever Melo went down, that was usually the guy stepping up. And I feel like that kind of gets lost in all the other stupid shit. And he also gave us just funny moments, man. The Tahiri incident, the DM. He was just funny. The Tahiri incident was so Yeah, funny. I just remember Frank Isola like so funny. <laughs> Frank Isola was like, oh my god, that's a huge ass. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> from, from, that was just i always found that funny where like you could tell frank frank i saw was just like so taken aback by the size of tahiri's ass he was welcomed by the sudden breaking news uh but but not um man not, yeah what what bro just every, everything that happened that year was i was so bummed it ended I wasn't even mad we lost. I was so just bummed we ended. I was like, that was so much fun to watch. I haven't had fun watching my favorite basketball team play good basketball like this in such a long time. I was so excited. I was like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm mad they lost, obviously, but Pacers are a good team. Stinks that it ended. Hopefully, we'll be back next year. We were not, of course, but that's how I felt at the time. I was like, that was just an enjoyable Yeah, and I felt season. that season started to come apart before that Pacers series. Because the Pacers series did have a couple good moments. Game two, they have that insane 33-13 run to end the game where Q Richardson comes in off the bench and just goes apeshit. That was just so fun. And every shot, the garden just exploded. 
But where I think the season kind of fell apart was everyone remembers this in Boston. Knicks are winning, and for some reason, Jared Smith hits Jason Terry with a Metal World Peace level elbow for no reason whatsoever. He suspended the next game. They lose that. Then they end up losing the game after that at MSG before going to Boston and finishing up the series. I feel like those were, they played two games too many there. I feel like that was a clean sweep. Celtics didn't have any answer for the Knicks that year, and JR kind of opened the door for them, and it was just never the same. JR was a, not a shell of himself, but he just wasn't the JR that was showing up every game that season. Yeah, uh, it was a little bit disappointing, obviously. Um, I felt he was a little bit in over his head um, because they they really were expecting him to be a a second star, I think, in the playoffs. Um, I think he he could have played to the level. He was playing to the level for most of that the season, Uh, not not as like a star star, but I mean, he, he had his big games. He had his big moments. He had his many times when he was stepping up and hitting big shots, whether they were game winners or just big ones in the fourth. You know, it feels like there was tons of those at the Garden. So, I mean, he was he lived up to the billing. It just – sometimes it doesn't go your way, man. Uh, that's that's what you get with JR. You know, you, you, we got him for, you know, pretty good value too on that contract, don't forget. And, I, I mean, you just – you live and die by him sometimes. It just is what it is. It was the makeup of the team. Um, yeah, and he stepped up because I don't hold it again. Obviously, I don't like right. hold anything against him. I don't, you know that. I love Jr. It's just sometimes that's that's the way the cookie crumbles, man. Like sometimes you just don't have a good series. Like people forget the playoffs are hard, man. The playoffs are hard. Everybody's efficiency right. goes down. The defense locks in. You're playing the same team seven times. Like, normally in the regular season, they prepare for you once. I'm not going to say anybody's half-assing it, but it's different. There's a different level of attention you, you, when you know, like, I, we're, we're stopping in San Antonio today. We got uh, Dallas tomorrow, whatever it is, right? You know, like, there's another thing you have waiting for you. This is just like, all right, man, hunker down, boys. We're just <laughs> we're just diving into to what's going on with this team, seven games. Uh, it's different. It, it's hard, man. And for some guys... You know, JR wasn't a true star. He was a six man. He was a really, really good but streaky bench scorer. Uh, that that's tough when you're relying on that in the playoffs. It's tough. Yeah, and that Celtics series, I think it was game one. I forgot what game it was. It was at MSG. He hits that that uh, I think it was it was it a half court shot at the end of the quarter. Anyway, he does that that rolling. I don't know what you call it. The three, just the three symbol, the classic JR Smith celebration and. I really like that. That was the moment I was like, all right, we're going to do something crazy this year. That doesn't end up happening. They had, like I said, they had their moments against the Pacers. JR fell off a cliff. He played all six games in the Pacers series, but shot 28.9% from the field, 23% from three. Just not good. Yeah. And Carmelo, I mean, God bless Carmelo. The year before that, or two years before that, he carried the Knicks in a sweep against the Celtics. Well, the Celtics swept the Knicks, rather. But he was by himself, and I kind of felt like it got back to that where (laughs) you end at the the beginning kind of type of thing, where I felt like he was the only one showing up at that point. Even Jason Kidd started to go a little cold. Tyson Chandler, I don't know what happened. I think he was sick. But it was also a little bit of bad luck, like Roy Hibbert having 
the season of his life just as the Knicks are peaking is just classic middle finger. It's just it made it still makes no sense to me. And that block, Hibbert blocking Mello is just ingrained in my eyes. I just can't ugh. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it was just just a total mix of bad luck. But I don't know. What, 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 do you still remember that block? The Roy Hibbert block. Oh, why did you ask me about? <laughs> well, I started thinking about. It. I can't just have. Uh, I can't be the only one having PTSD. Nothing saddens me more than that because. That ended what was probably the most fun era in basketball because for us anyway, in a while, and the reason I'm going to say this and everyone's going to think of being dramatic, we changed our team dynamic. We went away from everything that made us successful because Roy Hebert blocked Carmelo. That's it. They went out, they did the ridiculous Bargani trade. Because Roy Hibbert blocked Carmelo. That's what happened. That's what happened. The East is big, man. Like, they went out to be to make a bigger team to deal with the Pacers for some strange reason. Obviously, it didn't work. Because Roy Hibbert blocked Carmelo. That's where I can't live with. That's the point I, I think... can't live with. Like, I would be okay with Paul George going off. Because you could say, okay, that was Paul George's coming out party. You can at least point to that. And getting wiped out by LeBron is just like, all right, there's no shame in that. That happens to every team. Roy Hibbert, who, by the way, after this season, returns back to where whatever cave he came out of for that year because he was utter garbage after that. I think he got a big contract. It is it is disrespectful that Roy Hibbert was as bad as he was after doing what he did I wasn't surprised. to Carmelo Anthony in the Knicks. It is, it is disrespectful. To me, to to everybody, I think involved, how bad he was almost immediately. It it frustrates me. He literally made us do the bargaining trade, fell off a cliff, ruined us, ruined the Pacers. That was it. It was unbelievable, unbelievable levels of. I I hate it. I hate <laughs> it's it. It's just, it's really remarkable. I just, I mean, I'm just, I can't even think of a word to summarize other than bad than shit luck. But that was that's how the season ended. It ended as abruptly as it started. The Knicks would then go on to break up the team, as Carl noted. Steve Mills would return later that year, and it's kind of been in a standstill since. The year after that, Carmelo has the 62 in MSG, but he, I mean, he has a great year. Nothing against Carmelo. And I also want to go back after Chris Paul's done and come and just see who had more bad luck. I have a feeling Carmelo would be the favorable matchup in that because even from draft day, he gets passed on for Darko. Then his whole Knicks career was just shit luck. Where his first year, I feel like the Knicks could have had a decent run. Amari hurts his back, and Chauncey Billups gets hurt. The year after that, Lynn comes onto the scene, gets hurt before the playoffs. Amari slaps a fire extinguisher. Then the Hibbert thing. Now, after that, Mills comes in, Bargnani's added, and then that eventually turns into Phil, which also turned into Carmelo's demise. Just really shit luck, man.
Yeah, it was uh, it was wildly unfortunate. Uh, I I'm haunted by it every day. I think about the Bargani trade all the time. It ruined a a fun, fun, fun time for us. Um, I I hate that man. I hate my fellow <laughs> Italian country. There was a moment in time. I remember. I think it was uh, a preseason game. He did. He had like a nice little move. He was like, "All right, I'm going to talk myself into it." And then, literally, not even thirty seconds later, he's just standing in the middle of middle of uh, the three point line. I'm just like, "What is he doing?" He's on defense, mind you. His guy just blows by by him for an easy dunk. I was like, "Fuck this guy! I want nothing to do with him." He was just that type of player. I think th- this has nothing to do with. Uh... I'm not even gonna bring it up. I I started thinking about the game too. No, don't no no. I broke just for nope. everyone knows the anger. Nope, well, you already did it, so I'm just gonna it. say what happened. It was my dad. That's funny. I called nope. my dad because I was at, in college at the time. I broke my glasses, broke my Xbox controller at the same time. Uh, so I was telling my dad about, it, and he stopped. While he gave up on the Knicks after uh, a similar incident happened in the '90s. I believe it was uh, what's his name, Kenny. Oh fuck! He was number fifty-four. It was. It wasn't Kenny Smith. Obviously, I can't. I'm drawing a blank on his last name. Same shit happened to him, and that's kind of what caused my dad to turn away from the Knicks. And just fuck you, Jared Jeffries, you weakling. The fact that he just couldn't get one layup in is just. That's another thing. It's just seared in my brain. Fuck you, Jared Jeffries. But uh. <laughs> I can't believe we had to watch right, that man it's... play professional basketball. And everyone. For multiple I can't I think it was Eli that was like, oh, he wasn't that bad. I was like, dude, fuck this guy. He, like, ruined the one glimmer of hope I had that year. Because when we got Carmelo going up, I thought the whole season, like, we didn't get LeBron. I was depressed. Amari kind of brought it back a little bit. But then, like, getting Carmelo was just such a great moment. And he was on pace. I think he had 42 that game that Jeffries got stuffed like a turkey. And... That season fell apart, and then 2012-2013 falls apart on Carmelo getting blocked by Roy fucking Hibbert. We had But, again, on on a happy note, it was a very fun season to recap. Um, I I don't know. I I just thought uh, it could have ended better. It could have ended more more. I don't know. It could have ended in a different way, I suppose. But um, oh, are we not gonna? Are we gonna gloss over the? Uh, no, James White was next. The dunk season, contest. Wasn't it? I the dunk contest. Off the top of my head, I can't remember. But yeah, D- James White was in a dunk contest. Uh, non consequential. He didn't do much. Probably the worst. I would say he was the worst Nick participant in recent memory in terms of like what he did in the contest. I think Dennis Smith had some decent dunks. I would say James. I would. Yeah, I'm gonna stay with that take. James White was probably the worst Nick dunk contest contestant. But. Oh, uh, the last thing I'll say is uh, my unpopular Jeremy Lin take that I say for the end of this pod. Um, they were correct. It was it was the correct move hmm. to uh, to let him walk. Um I, I say this with full confidence as a Jeremy Lin fan and somebody that was rooting for him. I needed to see him get exposed in one playoff series to realize that for us to get anywhere, Jeremy Lin was not leading us. He was a fun story. 
it was very i i rooted for him his entire career it still am uh it was, it was a very special time for for me as a knicks fan but that was a lot of money he he got basically and he never really lived up to the billing again after that i think it was a fun streak but i think we have glorified that into what he was as a player for a long time. He was a good role player for a while. Don't get me wrong, but uh, just that was a lot of money he got. And the next, at the time I, I didn't feel that way at the time I was like, of course you got to try to keep him. But in hindsight, it was, it was very clear to me that that was a, a bullet dodged. It would, cause it was the, the most Knicks thing could have been that stretch goes well for them. He resigns. Uh, they match like the poison pill deal, whatever. And then he's like, he gives you Chris Duhon right. numbers the rest of the way, you know? And then it's like, well, that, wow, classic Knicks. So for, for me, like it was, in hindsight, it was fine. Like, I, I think when people talk about, oh, you know, Car- Carmelo ruined the Jeremy Lin thing. Or, that, I, that, I think it that, ended at the appropriate time. I don't even know if you want to call it a story or slant. That was just so stupid. It's like Carmelo was the reason Jeremy Lin got into that. And I believe what Carmelo was mad about, if I'm like, I'm not even re, I, for, I haven't read about this in a long time. I think he was like upset with all the attention about like, are you going to sign Jeremy Lin back? Because it's true. It's like this guy, he's good, but it's not like we're talking about Chris Paul here. We're not talking about prime Jason Kidd. This is a good player who had a great stretch. And correct me if I'm wrong, was the playoffs he could have played, but he didn't. And people accused him of holding out for a big payday. I think that was also part of like the mix. I forgot well, what exactly I, I was mean, going on. He was hurt. He 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 was he was certainly hurt. Um, I I I don't want to speak without remembering the injury. Something with the knee. But um, I, I, I let me just try to pull it up real quick. Uh, it was a partial yeah. meniscus tear, um, and they they thought a lot of people thought he could have played through that. Um, as somebody who tore his meniscus um, and plays basketball, I, I, at least for me, I was able to play through it without any issues or pain or anything uh, because it was not a significant mm-hmm. tear for mine either. Um, so I, so that's why I was always kind of partial to like, all right, man, like you, you could be playing. Um, so that was my unpopular take at the time, but like. I don't know, man. Like Miami exposed yes, him about to say. that year too, and like he, he couldn't he couldn't really dribble all that well, and he didn't really have any counters in his bag or in his arsenal. He pretty much knew like, well, I can I can beat you a little change of speed or direction this way, and and if that doesn't work out, then I don't really have anything. I might throw up some bullshit kind of a layup if that doesn't work out. I don't have anything. So, you know, again, really like Lynn. This is not supposed to be a Lynn, a Lynn slander thing. It was just like when it came time for that contract and I saw the numbers, I was like, uh, I mean, I would prefer if they kept him, but like that, that, that's, that's a lot, you know, like, and in hindsight, it seems like that ended up being a a fine move. So when people talk about them, letting him go as some like travesty, I don't, I think that I was one of the few things that like it, it played out Mm -hmm. the way it needed to. Yeah. I think I was on the other side of the fence at the time. I'm not going to lie and say it was a good, like, I was like, oh, that's a good move. I was a little mad at the time just because we didn't have a point guard lined up, but I got over it quickly because I liked Felton initially and his initial run with the Knicks. And like I said, huge Jason Kidd fan, favorite guard. So that kind of washed away pretty quickly. And Lynn kind of got lucky because his first year in Houston coincided with James Harden's. 
So it kind of make the made the Knicks look stupid for a brief moment in time, but they started winning at such a rate everyone forgot about it. Because if the Knicks struggle, I think that becomes like the big story, big Knicks story of that season, where it's like, oh, you could have had Jeremy Lin, who's doing X amount in Houston, but that didn't happen. Shout out J Kid, you're a legend. I love you for that. Uh, just to put a bow on this, excluding obviously Carmelo, who is one player from this team you would want to transport to this current Knicks team? And I'll read off the roster real quick. Carmelo Anthony, Earl Barron, Ronnie Brewer, who was traded later that year, Marcus Camby, Tyson Chandler, Chris Copeland, Raymond Felton, Solomon Jones, Jay Kidd, Kenyon Martin, who was signed at, I believe it was the end of February. He was signed to a 10-day contract and then for the rest of the season. Novak, Pablo Prigioni, Quentin Richardson, Shump, JR, Amari, Kurt, Sheed, and James White. Who are you going with? One player. And you would get them same age as they were in this year, same production, same everything. Hmm. Uh, I mean, it's tough. Um, did you list she was the second to last name? No, not fair. She. I think it'd, he was good, she, man. He had those moments. I just love how he just hit threes and he couldn't even jump. Like <laughs> he was just standing at the top of the yard, kind of just shooting those flat-footed shots. It was, I mean, it was very clearly a, a man on his last legs. You know, I just, for, for me, it was like mm-hmm. watching his like victory cigar kind of year, you know, like he didn't get like a big farewell, you know, towards the end of his career. Right. He's, he was always just, she just quiet to himself. So just seeing him like get the rock with a good team, you know, towards the end of his career, have some fun, have a couple of moments that we can look back on fondly, you know, the ball don't lie moment getting thrown. I mean, it was fun. It was fun. You know what's I, funny? And I, I noticed this wasn't a thing back then or even now. I'm surprised no one did a think piece because Rashid was good with the Knicks for that brief stretch. How could no one put a think piece? It's like, oh, if Carmelo went to the Pistons, they would have won X amount. Recently, it's actually been the opposite. I forgot who said it, but they said, I think it was Ben Wallace, actually, who was like, yeah, if we got Carmelo, we would have never won in 03. I was like, shut the fuck up. So I, I actually have two takes on that. Um, so I don't think maybe Ben is necessarily wrong for that first year, right? But what I run into is those next couple. This is what I my takeaways. Melo gave you what twenty one and six his rookie season. Uh, got the play, you know, with with the help of Marcus Camby and the Nuggets, you know, got to, got them to the playoffs. Um, however. Maybe if he if he doesn't help the Pistons win initially, my point is the East was kind of wide open for a few years. You know what I mean? Like the East wasn't necessarily all that difficult. The Pistons still needed a little bit of added punch. Now adding Sheed obviously helped them in the short term, but then they mm-hmm. couldn't get over it again in the long term, right? So they only won the one ring. I think as Melo, people are looking at it too short term. Like, oh, well, they wouldn't have won in, in, in that first ring, 2004. Maybe that's true, but what about when the Lakers disbanded and then now you have a year two, three, four mellow with a still very elite defense. You know what I mean? Like 
who's to say the guy scoring 23, 24, 25 points those next few years doesn't become a really good defender or isn't, you know, his weaknesses aren't covered by a really good defensive team and he helps them with the scoring. Like that, that to me is always like the argument I think people forget. I, I do think there's credence mm-hmm. to they need to cheat to win that first ring. I do think there's credence to you have, if you're talking about drafting Melo, that team stayed together beyond 2004 and they would have stayed together most likely through his rookie deal at least, you know? So you have to talk about well, what would have happened those next couple of years. I, I can't imagine you think it would have gone terribly just based on what yeah, Melo did pretty quickly. In he was the best player. He just carried Syracuse to a college championship. Detroit was good the year before. I think it was the Grizzlies pick they had that year at number two. Why would you not take the best player available? I feel like that was kind of like the NFL kind of does this where they'll take a need just because they're good already. Why didn't they just take Carmelo? It was best player available. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I think for the next couple of years, Pistons are probably the best team in the East. And we missed so many. That You know how many Carmelo-LeBron games we could have had? They would have been in the same division. Just, uh, just a big missed opportunity. I'm happy the Pistons have done absolutely nothing since then and will continue to do so because that's just a major whiff. Probably their second worst decision after leaving those teal uniforms. You know what's funny, though? If you listen back to what people were saying really? about Darko, it's very Chris Dapsy, if I'm not mistaken. Like, this this seven-foot, you know, European uh, big who, you know, he's hitting shots. He, he could take you off the dribble a little bit, you know. It, it was, in, in hindsight, like, I I can see why. I mean, this is the draft, right? I mean, got, we, we whiff on things all the time. So I can see why a team got duped into it. You know, I mean, we've... we've in the NBA, I mean, that prospect always gets taken in the lottery, does he not? The European shooter, there's always one. Especially there's always one time. guy floating around that kind of gets picked, right? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it, it is what it is. I'm not saying it's ideal or anything, but I, I like, I get how, you know, that could, like, I get, I get the whiff. Yeah. I understand the whiff. Well, missed opportunity, but happy we got Mellow New York and really grateful for that 2012 2013 season because like I said it's kind of just been downhill since then but yeah this was fun we might do another one for a different team we'll have to find a team that gave us relatively good moments because (laughs) it's few and far between since 2000 I'll tell you that much but yeah so uh, until next week I'm Mike Cortez that's Kyle Maggio make sure you follow Kyle at Kyle Maggio Kyle you got anything to plug before we head out of here Um, yeah, I mean, if, if possible, if I can't bother you guys, the many of you that are subscribed to this pod and listen to me for basketball takes, uh, go subscribe to my other basketball podcast for whistle sports. Uh, it would, I would appreciate it. Uh, it helps me stay employed. So please do that. Uh, it's the three to the dome podcast for whistle sports. Uh, you could find it Spotify, the SoundCloud, uh, Apple iTunes, of course, uh, should be Google Play Store as well. So just go, you know, shoot me a little uh, rating. I would appreciate it. I'm going to try to do some kind of a contest or giveaway soon when all this stuff dies down <laughs> and none of you are going to be scared to receive packages from me. Uh, so we'll, we'll figure something out. I, I think I want to give a jersey away and uh, some other stuff. So we'll, we'll, you know, you obviously all follow me, so you'll see it posted. But uh, 
so stay tuned give you know give me a subscription there make sure you're following whistle sports on everything and uh obviously following the next wall uh mm. we have another app coming out from oh breaking news at the I end off because i don't want to give you guys too much too soon in a time with yeah with in a time with too little i didn't want to you know drop two big guns on you and then you have nothing else from us so spaced it out uh we have a new app coming mm, interesting it's a trivia app that's all i will say designed by ryan gray it's a trivia app uh, i i do want do not want to divulge any other details but uh you've seen what we've done with the simulators you see what ryan's done with uh you know anytime he may, decides to make an app with with nixflix or otherwise so um just stay tuned, as always. Make sure you checked out the Nixflix that's on the nixwall.com uh, in Netflix-style app. You can go through uh, old games, highlights, uh, randomly selected for you or filtered uh, by, by genre, by decade, by player. So go check that out. It's a good time. Uh, we like to make fun stuff for you guys. So, I mean, who doesn't love a free jersey? Make sure you're subscribed to 3 to the Dome podcast. Great pod. Uh, pretty good guest, too, man. I'd like obviously the, the content itself is good but you've had some really good discussions on there so make sure you follow that follow whistle sports too. support the family uh nick's wall stuff kyle already hit on nickflix if you want to reminisce after listening to the pod make sure you go to nickflix on the nickswall.com and while you're on the nickswall.com check out our written pieces i put out the latest draft board the fourth edition focused on that clippers pick Talked about a little Kira Lewis. Talked a little Precious. I'm not going to say his last name, so I butcher it. But uh, Nick Scalero also dropped something today on should we keep Bobby Portis. Um, anything else on the next wall? Yes, Quentin Haynes on Christian Wood. So make sure you check that out. Follow Nick's wall. Just check out all our content. And, yeah, we'll be back next week.